Welcome to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. Here are your hosts, Alex Kingsbury and Danny Piper. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of the Printing Money podcast. I'm your host, Danny Piper. And joining today, I have two special guests welcoming back the co-creator of the show, Alex Kingsbury. And additionally, we have Arno Held, who has been a repeat guest on the show from AM Ventures. Hey, Alex. Hey, Arno. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me back. I'm, I'm glad you've forgiven me, Danny. And it's, uh, it's wonderful to be back talking again. It Great. is. Thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting me uh, again to the show, Danny. Yeah, no, well, the last time I think we were all together was at uh, Form Next. Uh, I think we lost Alex by midweek. I think uh, I think by Wednesday she disappeared on me. But Arno, I saw you quite a bit. Um, I actually really enjoyed. We got to do that panel together on the first day for the startup group. How was the show for you, Arno? It was a crazy week. Yes, uh, it feels like everyone was in the same place uh, for one week. Sasha Wenzler and his team once again managed to create our living room in Frankfurt. It was once again a fantastic week, but everyone was everywhere. Extremely packed. It was more busy than I expected, given the circumstances in the uh, global economy and in our industry. But uh, the attendance was great. We saw some really, really good exhibits. We saw a lot of interesting appearances like massive uh, booth at bright laser for example and and actually uh next to the hall or uh, where we were doing the presentation i thought it was interesting it was the first time i saw a one of the construction related uh 3d printing companies it was a french company if i'm not mistaken remember the big uh concrete sort of uh extruder uh robotic arm that i thought that was pretty interesting to see that, that integration we didn't Alex. only see them; we also heard them. Uh, they made uh, <laughs> quite a lot of noise while we were on the, on stage, but it was a real spectacular show. Yes, I agree with your sentiments, Anu, that it was busier than other years. Um, it definitely felt like. I mean, so this was my first show being on on the booth. Normally, I would be walking around on the on the show floor, um, being much more of a free agent. But I was uh, sitting there on the end light booth, and I have to say that the um, the foot traffic was really, you know, quite exceptional. Um, Really, most days, and when I talk to people, it varies a little bit in terms of what they experience. Like some people were saying, oh, Thursday was not so busy or whatever. I mean, we found that it was like a seriously consistent set of foot traffic going by. And um, even Friday, that was the thing that surprised everyone the most is that that's normally the day when, you know, it's very quiet. A lot of a lot of folks have gone home um, already and that's when a lot of the people on the booth get to do their walk around. Um, a lot of uh, people on booths told me that they didn't even get to do that on the Friday because it was it, it was still really busy. So, yeah, echo your sentiments, Arno. Um, well done to Sasha and team for yet another outstanding show. Um, it's it's definitely you know you I really felt like this was um, very much really recovered from the pandemic. Um, I know that last year was kind of like a bit of a level set from. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic. And then this one really just felt like it's, yeah, it's really kicking off now. Yeah, literally Friday afternoon, Michael and I were running to a meeting and they were rolling the carpets up. And it was, <laughs> we were like, they were getting people out and it was still, it was still relatively full. It was weird that they were, they were doing that. And uh, you're right. So Alex, I mean, I think one of the things, uh, you know, Enlight did a very nice job with the the series of panels that you put on sort of throughout the week. Danny, the you did a very nice job. You moderated one of them. So there you go, everyone. Danny Piper, moderator for hire. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, and it just, I think it certainly probably, you know, attracted a number of people to your booth. And I think that it was uh, very well done for a booth and the advertising you put forth. Um, so I think there's probably additional traffic. So it makes me wonder, we should probably get into it. There's a lot to cover because, I mean, it's been sort of a little bit longer since we've done one of the the podcasts. We're not going to get every deal in in this episode that's occurred since sort of October timeframe. But sort of jumping into the M&A deals, the first one that uh, I was going to highlight was the Cumberland Additive acquiring the Stratasys Direct business. And it looks like uh, we, we had covered with Tali Rossman in episode 11, they were spinning out the urethane business out of that Stratasys Direct business line. 
but this is sort of the whole shebang and uh, sort of a big deal. I think if I'm not mistaken, Alex, you've worked with Don Hickton uh, in the past. So any comments on Cumberland or thoughts on how this is playing out? Not quite, actually, um, although that would be a, a great experience. I would have loved to have. Um, I've worked very closely with John Barnes at my um, prior, prior, prior role uh, at CSIRO in Australia. Um, and then John went on to work for um, Alcoa, which was Ar- Arconic, that acquired, um, let me get this right, directed manufacturing uh, that then was spun out um, to be Cumberland Additive. And Dawn was, uh, had come into Alcoa from uh, RTI uh, and, and had taken carriage of that business. But then when it was spun out, I believe she's still the chair um, over there at Cumberland. But, you know, we all got to go and visit that site at Cumberland um, in Pflugerville in uh, Austin um, when we went to Formnex Forum. Oh, that's right. Arno, I got a question sort of for you on this one, because I think this is this sort of makes sense, right? Spinning out sort of a manufacturing business. And and I've noticed, I mean, 3D Systems really kicked this off a long time ago, buying a bunch of the service bureaus in the market and building up a direct business, a manufacturing business. Stratasys kind of hit, you know, the big time. They they sort of, you know, did two deals simultaneously to put this uh, deal together with Harvest Technology and Solid Concepts back in 2014. Like in Europe, when I look at sort of the the ecosystem of equipment manufacturers, I don't see the same service side of the business where they're making parts kind of going downstream where they, in some ways it could be partially competitive with their customers. You know, what are your thoughts here? Is this a good move sort of and does that align right for you in terms of the, the strategist? Yeah, I, I, I think it, it absolutely does. I mean, I I also remember the times when uh, 3D systems and Stratasys were competing with each other on uh, buying out buying their customers' uh, prototyping businesses many many years back, um, which was an interesting move back then. I remember here in Europe, uh, this was observed a little bit more critically because um, you could also see that. The machine, the hardware vendors were competing with their customers, so that generated also some critical voices. To a certain extent, it was really good. I mean, in the end, um, the machine OEMs didn't do anything else when they started to build their their applications departments and uh, and, and offered customers to support them uh, getting into um, building up a, a manufacturing business. Now, taking the step back, 3D Systems did it a little bit earlier, a couple of months or a couple of quarters um, back. They already exited from from their business. Um, Stratus is now doing this as well, giving the manufacturing business into very trustful hands. And Cumberland is certainly very experienced in in operating AM systems and and developing applications. I think it's 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 a good move. It makes a lot of sense uh, to to divest from this um, and and focus on the core business, which is developing hardware, selling hardware and developing applications with customers. Next yeah. question, do we think that they're going to divest fully out of their service offering or are they just going to stick with polymers? Because of course, you know, Cumberland and um, this this Stratasys business are metals. And obviously there was the, um, you know, the merger talks with desktop metal that was, uh, you know, Stratasys is going to be moving into metal. This business, I believe, was put up for sale earlier in the year, um, actually. So it's it's kind of like a little bit separate to, it's separate to merger talks. But uh, they did just appoint a, a, a new GM to that business. And I don't know if that's a sign of, we're going to appoint a GM because we need, really need to like refine and streamline that service offering, or we're going to appoint a new GM because we need someone to just kind of basically do the operational, to, you know, close down. You know, I think this sets a trend, and we're going to see this. And you know, I'm going to make a comment that that's either way they've got to streamline operations, and everybody's doing that, right? We already talked on the last podcast with Troy. We talked about sort of how 3D Systems is streamlining, you know, probably something to the tune of 45 to 55 million dollars out of their operating budget in the next year. How do you streamline, get your core assets in the best position? And and so this is going to be a trend of these spinouts. I'm just going to announce something that uh, kind of came up in 3D Systems quarterly report. And it was announced on 3dprint.com this morning. I noticed it was also captured in PitchBook, but they're buried in their last report. 
that uh, 3D systems looked like they may dispose of Octon, which they acquired in 2021 for $188 million. Yeah, that was a big rumor. <laughs> it, well, it was it's legit. In, it's legit. Like there's some substance to it. They, yeah, they, they basically said it's more likely than not, than not that they will be disposing of that. And I think just that the point here is that they have a an asset sitting on the balance sheet that's got some impairment value when they come in and the accountants have to do fair value assessment. They're going to have to take write downs. And I think they're looking at what's the right thing. Can they streamline their operations as they look at trying to become more profitable as they're rewarding profitability? We're going to see more of these corporate spin outs is potentially the result. So Stratasys wasn't alone. There's the rumor now of 3D Systems, which they've started the rumor. So it's not one I think we're, we're proposing. And we've got another deal on the list, which is a spin out here in a little bit we'll, we'll cover. But the next one... Um, Jumping onto it is, uh, and this was a, a big announcement at uh, Formnext, was Nexa announced that they were going to be acquiring Ascentium. If everybody can go backwards two years in time at Formnext in 2021, Ascentium was on the SPAC path with a, it was a $974 million post-money valuation that Atlantic Coastal Acquisition Corp was going to be the SPAC partner. And unfortunately, they were on the very tail end of that SPAC wave. And, uh, you know, but for probably a, a couple of months, if they had done it earlier, they may have gotten through that. So here we are a couple of years later. And, you know, this is, uh, this is sort of a different result than I think everybody expected. It was definitely a matter of bad timing. That's, that's back um, just a little too late, uh, not quite timing it exactly right. And, um, for those who recall, they also had a, an acquisition with Collider as part of that SPAC, but that also fell through with the, the SPAC falling through. I, I remember that uh, Formnext appearance by Ascension. They came out of nowhere and from one year to another, they had the biggest booth of the show, which was extremely impressive. And uh, then after the SPAC failed, that, that um, appearance uh, changed um, again. I think it makes quite a bit of sense to... Uh, to, to join the Nexa family. Um, um, that is certainly an interesting move that uh, Avi did there. And I'm also convinced that this was not the last um, activity that we that we saw. Um, this is going to continue, most likely. Yeah, Avi has been pretty uh, active. Uh, I talked to him at Rapid, um, and they had done sort of two deals rolling into Rapid with Adafab, and then also just before that, XYZ's assets in the SLS space. And he had said one of the things he wanted to do was add a sort of an FDM capability, extruder capability. So it's exactly where he said he wanted to go. Probably an interesting transition to the next deal, since we're talking about FDM deals that uh, are making waves. Uh, I think and SPACs. And, and SPACs, exactly. <laughs> so uh, there's really two things to unpack here. Big Rep. So been around the industry a long time. They did, one, an acquisition of Haga, and two, have announced a SPAC. So that's sort of an interesting development. It's, uh, you know, it's still yet to be kind of confirmed or to actually go ahead. This is just an, an, an announcement for an intention. They'll still have to do things like secure a pipe. Um, I think probably, honestly, the more interesting thing here is uh, the Haga 3D company that um, has, you know, also some larger format FDM style printers. I, I shouldn't, you know, we should correct ourselves. We shouldn't say FDM. It's a trademark name by Stratasys. It's uh, material extrusion. But, uh, but they're part of a larger parent company. Um. Uh, Hage Sondermaschinenbau, quite an experienced uh, uh, special machinery uh, company from Austria that somehow has built a, uh, an extrusion-based uh, business unit within their business over the last eight or nine years, I think. Yeah, also on my side, I can't really comment on the spec uh, with Big Rep. I didn't know that specs are still a thing. But I do like the move on uh, acquiring Hage 3D. Um, I think it adds uh, some a lot of competence uh, to Big Rep in, in terms of building machines. Um, seems like Hage really knows what they are doing with a couple of decades experience in their books and um, integrating this into the, the AM unit into Big Rep or will add some, some, some margin and some skill uh, to the Berlin-based uh, company. So that's a good one. 
seems like is a roll into the the SPAC to get a deal done to put some size in. I'm guessing Big Rep needs to get an exit for some of the investors. So the the two biggest investors in Big Rep are Kohler Investments that own 36% and BASF Ventures, which owns 30%. By the way, BASF was also a big investor in Ascentium. So I think they're trying to to clear the decks in their venture fund. And SPACs certainly became a little bit of a dirty word, but reverse mergers have been around for a long time. And I think from a standpoint, if there's a lesson learned here, right, don't value it at five times the revenues in five years from now. That just isn't going to hold up. It's going to have to have some realistic valuations put on it to attract the pipe deal to go with it. Um, the, the one thing I don't know much about SMG, the founding partner there, Stefan Petrakovics, actually has two SPACs in the market. One was uh, a little bit earlier. They started in 2021. It was sort of this European recovery fund that was focused on the hospitality industry. I don't think they transacted and they've got a, you know, usually a two year life on these. So this one is a much newer one. Um, they just sort of launched it in October. He's not a 3D printing person or knows the industry. So he's going to be reliant upon the management team of Big Rep here to uh, to drive this one. So hopefully they uh, have learned from the past mistakes from others. But uh, this is going to be something to, to watch here. We've seen some other SPACs get announced and not make it through. Namely, we've covered Saku on this uh, podcast before, and that one... Uh, Certainly wasn't uh, completed in a successful way, uh, you know, at the end of last hour, really uh, over the summer time frame was when they uh, they kind of unwound that one. There was another theme I think we all talked about was just multi-material 3D printing and uh, and also the theme of corporate divestitures. Desktop Metal uh, announced that they had um, divested of Aerosent to Schaeffler and, uh, and I Arno, am I saying that right when I say Schaeffler? Schaeffler. Schaeffler. Surprisingly, a very large acquisitive company that um, absolutely uh, makes sense, but it was one of those things where um, sometimes they fly under the radar, uh, especially sitting in California. And and I'm shamed to say I, I missed it. And so they're fairly acquisitive. They've been doing a number of deals but Aerosent looks like it's the first transaction inside the 3D printing space, a direct technology space. And they've got a lot of stuff inside of the automotive market. So, Yeah, right. Um, the, the, this surprised me as well in, in terms of like um, here's a company I've not heard of before and they're actually massive. Um, 13.9 billion euros worth of you know value sitting there in um, Schaeffler. <laughs> Part of my Deutsch, and and also owned by um, a very wealthy family that also have a, have a controlling interest in a company called Continental that are an uh, automotive parts supplier. Um, so this is like I kind of feel like, I mean, this is a relatively small deal, but these are exactly the kinds of deals that we like to see and we've been asking for because it's like here is a big manufacturing company with really strong links into some you know a strong. Um, market vertical and um, they're making uh, investments in in 3D printing or acquisitions in 3D printing um, and really fantastic to see and I mean great home for Aerosent um, because they already uh, had um, a multi-material printing system that they were working on, Schaeffler, um, that was for combining uh, metal and ceramics in a single build, and so Aerosent as a you know a, a home for them, it completely makes sense. Um, speaking of uh, impairments that you were talking about earlier, Danny, um, this one is a significantly you know value impaired deal for Desktop Metal. Um, they bought uh, Aerosent for six point one million dollars at at the date of acquisition. In March this year, it was um, the value was written down to one point two million dollars, and I think by the time the deal actually went through with uh, Schaeffler, it was um, much much reduced from there. So that's a pretty big write off on the books for them. It is, but but certainly a a good move also for the Aerosent team. I really like um, Edward and 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 the technology that he and his team have developed. Um, to be honest, I, I never fully understood how it would would have fit into the desktop metal um, technology stack. 
Therefore, it was probably only logical that uh, the company moves on or, or there's a new home to be found. Um, Scheffler is indeed a very big player in the German automotive scene. They are one of the biggest uh, suppliers to the big automotive OEMs. And um, but to me, I highly welcome this move that, that Scheffler shows interest to moving into additive technologies um, and, and tapping a toe into it with, with Aerosynth. Um, very highly innovative technology that says a lot about their um, their interest and, and what their plans are. Um, so I I like the move a lot, and I wish also Edward and the team all the best. Yeah, like the fact that they've stayed through this with multiple acquisitions. Uh, here's the thing for Desktop Metal: when they did this transaction, they had not done the X1 deal. They had sort of just gotten through the Envision Tech uh, deal and some adaptive 3D. So they were focusing on photopolymers. They had their core business. I think they had aspirations to be probably more broad in their scope and have more laser powder bed fusion capabilities to, to kind of complement this. That didn't happen. It became sort of non-core. And the fact that the team found a good home is, is, is great. I think there's a sort of an interesting looking at uh, Scheffler for a moment in, in sort of transition in the next deal. I thought this was kind of interesting is some commonality. Not only they've been doing a number of deals this year, they had, I think, four M&A deals. They had a number of corporate investments, one of which was a company called Up to Parts, which is a cloud-based digital manufacturing platform that was the software side of a contract manufacturing company, the BAM Group, which uh, ironically is known also as MAB, which is opposite of BAM. I don't know how that plays out. But what's sort of interesting is they co-invested. It was, it was two corporates co-investing together. It was Sandvik and Scheffler, which sets us up for the next couple of deals we're going to talk about in the metal powder space, starting with Sandvik. So Sandvik, I think everybody knows, has been very active in the space, both on their powder side. They've also been an investor in Beamit, but they just recently acquired Buffalo Tungsten. This is um, expanding their capability in the powder production. This is not a new company. They're not just AM focused, um, having been around since 1986. Yeah, it would see that this is seem that this is like sort of more. They do pure tungsten, but also tungsten carbide. Um, probably more for their componentry sort of business, um, you know, anything kind of wear and tear, gears and so on. Perhaps a little less relevance to AM, but um, even still we know that uh, the use of um, refractories in AM is um, certainly taking off. And it's, it's, it's an interesting move also with the next deal that we are going to talk about. Metal powder seem to be coming a, a really hot thing now right i think we uh, we we spoke about it on a on a stage uh, earlier in the year danny um powders or materials are the key to applications so if you own the material supply chain you pretty much also own the future applications and um uh, that there are a couple of companies out there that are that are on the market that are in discussions right now with the big acquirers i think this is an extremely exciting space to uh, to watch in the coming months and quarters yeah well you're kind of tipping us up to a couple of deals coming down on the list here but um we might hear about tungsten one more time in this list uh, the next one is uh, 6k additive on acquiring global metal powders which was announced on november 2nd and um this seems to the complement here is sort of this you know, recycling capability that 6K has always sort of, they, when they've gone to market, they don't just sell themselves as a powders company. They're really a sustainability company. And I think this further expands that. I'm a huge fan of uh, 6K and what they do. And I think just to your comments, Arno, around metal powders being a really exciting space, I think a really big part of what's opening this up in a big way are companies like 6K that are making metal powders in a just slightly different way. Um, and as you say, Danny, uh, this is very much, you know, a sustainability story for 6K. Um, they are, you know, real specialists in being able to recycle metal powders. So they've got a great line in additive um, in their titanium. So they had acquired, you know, I think that was probably about 2021. They requ- acquired a uh, titanium um it was, it was a company that did titanium recycling in the sense that they took in titanium scrap, cleaned it up, and then chipped it, chipped it up really finely. And then, you know, from there it goes through the 
6K Unimelt system. Um, this Global Metals Powder deal is a little bit similar um, in that it's a recycling business and uh, they do refractories. And um, like I said, refractories for additive is, is a really hot topic at the moment. There's a lot of um, applications in hypersonics that need refractories and um, being able to have, you know, 6K's got a great story, not only in sustainability, but also in like local supply chains for the US and particularly relating to defense. And so um, being able to uh, provide a secure supply in country of these really you know, critical materials is a really winning strategy for, for 6K. And I'll also add that Global Metal Powders is in the Pittsburgh little ecosystem up there um, along with 6K and um, you know we were just talking about I know that Cumberland's not in um, in Pittsburgh but uh, they um, they do have a um, an office as slash uh, a couple of machines up in Pittsburgh as well um, so definitely Pittsburgh is you know it's it's from the Rust Belt but it's definitely transforming into a, a modern modern manufacturing metals manufacturing hub yeah well, I, look, I, I, I want to transition. I agree. You know, that's um, it's a really complimentary deal, but I'd like to jump on the financing deals because there's a very interesting deal that um, that uh, we can lead off with that I'd like for Arno to, to kind of jump on. Vector Flow has announced raising a four million dollar euro Series A round and um I don't have a lot of information because it's been pretty secretive, but we might know one of the investors on the deal. So Arno, give us uh, give us a scoop on this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, rumor has it that uh, that's one of uh, AM Ventures portfolio companies. Um, we've been supporting the team around Christian Heigermoser and Katharina Kreitz for, for many years already since they spun off of Technical University of uh, Munich eight years ago or so. Um, it's Finally, an applications company, right? That's uh, what we're all looking for. Uh, the big applications in additive manufacturing. And it's not a heat exchanger. It's not an antenna. It's not a filter. Um, it's a metal application, which is uh, getting bigger and bigger in uh, commercial aviation as well, but also motorsport. It's pr uh, fluid measurement devices, pitotubes. Um, so small little probes um, with, if designed, uh, with the help of additive manufacturing technologies can measure not only the intensity um, of fluid uh, pressure, but also the direction. Um, and they are much lighter and much more compact uh, than their conventional counterparts. Um, and that's what, what Vectorflow has been doing for, for many years already. Um, there is an interesting story around the, the whole company and especially around uh, Katarina as well. Um, maybe for the German-speaking listeners, if you uh, uh, know German national television and their online media libraries, there is even a documentary around Katarina. She's one of the poster girls of female entrepreneurship in, in the deep tech space. Uh, but also a couple of years back, she suffered a very severe skiing accident, crashed into a tree, uh, and was always almost uh, wiped out of life. Um, uh, and uh, there was a big, big uh, tragedy. Um, it was very impressive how she came back. Um, it's as impressive how Christian and Katarina have built a, a fantastic aerospace um, uh, technology company now in the vicinity of Munich. And yes, um, we finally closed the Series A funding round with a couple of local investors and the Bavarian State Fund um, who, who backed the round. And uh, that's exactly the kind of companies that we want more, right? It's uh, an application that is being funded to become even more successful. Yeah, congrats, Arno. It sounds like a really, really fantastic company and obviously a pretty inspired leadership team. Um, I love this application. And I remember when you were telling us about it, um, I thought, oh, that's got to be a Formula One application. It's like born out of a Formula One um, <laughs> you know, type industry. But having said that, you know, wow, you know, if you're doing compact and lightweight um, probes, you, you can use that in so many applications, right? I mean, you know, not only in, um, you know, it, fluid flow, right? You could do so many different types of processes um, that you could do fluid me measurement in, but also I'm seeing that there would be surely a big um, market in space, space exploration. But space anyway. 
Yes, you are, you are absolutely right. Um, uh, space, but also um, electric aviation, for example. Yeah. Now, especially if you're developing uh, small drones with, uh, um, uh, that are carrying uh, smaller payloads, you need to have them as light as possible to fly further distances. So these, um, uh, these devices are, are much needed um, in this kind of application, but also on the tips of rotor blades for, for wind generation, uh, wind power generation. Um, that's, that's one of the ones that always gets me is that it's amazing the environment the tips of wind turbine blades play in. We, we, I think we underestimate the engineering requirements and the rigors that go under those. But um, look, this is a, obviously a heartwarming story. Cool for the team. I uh, unfortunately get flashbacks of being at the Air Force Academy, trying to struggle through aeronautical engineering at the wind tunnel lab, trying to figure out turbulent and laminar airflows over wings with pitot tubes in those wind tunnels. And so if I cringe a little bit, it's just, uh, it's, it's me uh, just having to remember surviving aeronautical engineering it's class. Surpassed so. trauma. Yeah, it is. That's, that's just me. So uh, <laughs> congrats, Arno. That's fantastic. Um, next uh, deal to announce is the Divergent uh, you know, Series D round that was announced at $230 million in November. I'm going to take a moment to pause and take a deep breath on this one because I think there's some a few things to unpack, and I don't think we have to cover this one too hard because we actually covered this on our first VC episode. It was the second episode we did on the podcast where it was announced that Hexagon put $100 million into Divergent, and that was on, I think, December 9th of 2022. And as it is my understanding that this round that closed is an extension of that investment. Hexagon was mentioned to have led that round. I don't see indications that Hexagon wrote a second check on this one. I could be wrong, by the way. I'm just going to say that in, in my looking through this, um, it sort of brings up some things that as you sort of do the homework, there were other investors that came alongside on this one. Trousdale Ventures, Inbox Capital, Advection Growth Capital came in with some other disclosed investors. So, you know, this is a, a great thing for uh, Divergent. So I, I, I think that's where you know, the amount of capital that they intended to raise was at this level. There was an announcement on December 8th of last year that uh, sort of just came out right before the Hexagon announcement the day before that they were closing a $200 million round. So that's just the way these things work sometimes. So I, it, it sort of adds fodder that that's this they had intended to have a large Series D round, and in this environment, it may have taken a little bit longer. So that's that's sort of the the, the read that I take on it. I don't think you know I have you know unless anybody has any has heard anything else. I think that's kind of consistent. The the other divergent news that came out which uh, we've covered in the past was Sigma Additive had sold off their assets. We had reported this. I think they're becoming a travel agency now, um, which is kind of funny. But um, the uh, the IP assets were bought by a strategic buyer. It has been disclosed that that was Divergent who bought those assets. So that's, uh, I think, more of a clarification on a prior episode more than anything else. So let's jump into sort of the next sort of new round that uh, that popped up. Amensa gets a $20 million Series B round. And, um, and so, uh, Arno, are you familiar with yep. the Amensa team? Yes, uh, I've, I've met Fami Al-Shawa, the founder, um, who's based in Dubai, uh, a couple of years back. Um, he also he, he started this business single-handedly, built a service provider that's supplying... Uh, uh, whole Middle Eastern uh, and, and, and Europe, um, predominantly focusing on the oil and gas industry, but also so, also some some space and aerospace applications. Um, it's quite impressive that uh, we hear these uh, news from uh, coming from from the UAE uh, with uh, a company funded in additive manufacturing as a service bureau. Um, great news. Uh, it shows how committed uh, um, the UAE are right now to, to bringing additive manufacturing to, to that part of uh, the world. There's also a lot of conferences happening at the moment around advanced manufacturing um, in, in general, but also additive 
more specifically in Dubai and uh, in Qatar, for example. But um, I'm glad to see these these rounds happening and uh, additive manufacturing being further funded with uh, quite substantial rounds. So that's, um, I, I think, uh, good news for us and uh, very good news for Farmy. Congratulations on that. Yeah, oh, it's I think a twenty million, you know, Series B. So it's, um, you know, definitely a well-funded business. Um, I noticed that they also have, um, sort of intentions to at some point move into the US as well, which I thought was really interesting. It's definitely a much more, I would have thought, competitive marketplace for that type of offering. Well, I think this is. I think I think there's two sides of this business. If I'm not mistaken. One is sort of the front end, right? They can make parts, and then the other part of it really is is sort of that developing a highly rigorous supply chain where they become sort of a marketplace to help the oil and gas industry find uh, and and develop other suppliers. So I think there's there's really at least when I look at the website. Um, that they're really trying to be a comprehensive solution, which in the U.S., there's a, you know, especially think about Houston and the, along the Gulf Coast and even in California, oil and gas industry is a, a fairly prominent in this industry. So it, it would make sense to be a solution provider overall. You don't have to be limited. So I think that's, uh, and to your point, Arno, that region of the world is also important outside of oil and gas. There's a lot of foreign trade and defense offsets that are done it's sort of in the Middle East. I think that's going to continue to grow. The investment opportunities in the Middle East are some of the, you know, especially Dubai leading the world right now and some of the capital uh, allocators that are there. Though the the round was led by a group called Global Ventures, which not a lot um, that I can tell that they've done. As a matter of fact, this is probably the first thing that they've done in the additive manufacturing area. And then the rest of the uh, the investors will follow on investors on this round. So pretty cool. Glad uh, for one, the region and two, uh, more comprehensive, you know, industry focused solutions is is welcomed here. The, the next deal, uh, th- this is one that's not a traditional, just straight 3D printing deal, but I wanted to highlight it. It's press apart which I bet you, I, I didn't really note it before, but KKR, the massive, you know, global private equity group, um, you know, they, they have made a growth equity investment into this company. It looks like it's the first investment that Press Apart's ever taken. They were founded in 1950. Additive isn't their core business, but I, I put it in here because I think this is indicative of where we're seeing additive, you know, starting to find roots in companies that don't traditionally do it. They do a lot of micro machining, small mechanical components. Um, when, you know, going through their, their website, their core expertise is micro CNC and Swiss turning, but they've been an early adopter of this, uh, idea of micro laser centering. And so, uh, guess what? One of the materials that they have is tungsten. Go figure. We bring, we'll bring that one second, uh, into the, uh, the fold and we might even hear it again. Um, and they, you know, but stainless steel. So think about, you know, a lot of small medical devices and components. And, and I bring it up because it's certainly great for, you know, showing and displaying additive inside of manufacturing companies and seeing some of these get well-funded. We always have the same names on these lists. So if you don't know Press Apart, look them up and you can see some really interesting, small, fine featured parts, which is, uh, I think, starting to really be highlighted if you walk through the halls of uh, Form Next, the other sort of fine feature, small kinds of companies that are starting to emerge. Incus has uh, got some really interesting capabilities. And Holo, also in the US, in the Bay Area, that was a spin out of Autodesk, has similar capabilities to this, you know, this type of smaller micro CNC. Why don't we jump on to uh, the next one here? Cognitive Designs uh, raised 2 million euro uh, recently in November 8th. So sort of a, a new addition. We've got a French company in the list, which is, uh, is great to see. So um, this is another one of, I would say, the DFAM software sides of the world. Uh, you have to throw the word AI into the mix. And, um, I noticed that. <laughs> it's another one of our good AI companies uh, attracting funding. 
I, you know, it's one that um, hadn't really crossed my radar as much as some of the other players. I'm not sure. I don't know if you've seen or heard much of uh, of the team here. They seem to be localized in sort of that Toulouse area, um, big aerospace presence. And so, and I think the company founder came out of sort of Japanese engineering company. So maybe it didn't hit the same radar that every traditional AM company has. Yes, indeed. I mean, there is a lot of activity in Toulouse, also thanks to to um, Airbus's um, activities, and um, um, that's also the context that I uh, remember hearing about uh, cognitive design systems. I think they they were um, also a member of the um, European Space Agency uh, incubator in in Bavaria. Um, so uh, they they popped up every now and then, but I don't I don't know the company in too much detail um i'm glad that they are around because um uh, this is exactly what we need to to develop more applications um and um aviation um aerospace is certainly one of the the, the most fertile breeding grounds at the moment for successful metal applications yep it sort of creates a high hurdle for the engineering rigors of the of that industry and so uh it certainly is one that spawns companies like this and so that's fantastic I think uh, the the next one on the list maybe hits uh, a little closer to home, but maybe uh, not going back to the Austria side of the world with Lithos making investment in Amorea and plays yes. on to the, uh, the theme of multi-material 3D printing. So Exactly. An Austrian company making investments in, in Germany. Um, um, and if it's, uh, it's even better if it's a portfolio company of AM Ventures. Uh, so Lethos uh, invested in a, a pretty impressive technology, uh, a team of researchers that spun out of um, uh, one of the Fraunhofer Institutes uh, in Dresden. Amarea has developed a technology that can uh, build multi-material um, parts um, uh, up to six different materials in one single uh, run. Um, super interesting if you can combine ceramics and metals um, uh, together. Gives you a couple of really interesting um, opportunities for, for certain applications. So we can be extremely uh, curious uh, and excited to find out uh, what, what will be coming out of that cooperation between IMERA and, and LIFAS. I gather that this is um, there was already a cooperation between the two, and this investment is just sort of solidifying that, um, perhaps leading to some closer cooperation in future. Yeah, it looks like so. the The technology looks like it's a multi material jetting technology, and and so it has the ability to work across a very wide variety of materials, especially some of the composite, you know, ceramic materials and composite metal materials, which are often really hard to work with. And uh, I'm going to say the word tungsten one more time on this since we're just going to keep that theme going. <laughs> so we just call this episode 13 the tungsten and multi-material yeah, I, episode. I, I've <laughs> never said tungsten more in my life than in the last sort of 30 minutes. Um, and I, I don't even think I spelled it right between the multiple times I wrote it on this. So, um, um, but uh, but if you want to, just maybe maybe one hint. If you if you want to see a couple of spectacular images of multi-material parts, Lethos had a couple of interesting case studies where they combined copper and uh, ceramic parts uh, in one single geometry, which didn't only look spectacular. It was just the 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 uh, material challenge to combining these two materials alone is is quite an exciting for for an engineer so look up uh, lethos.com um, to 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 see some spectacular images of these applications it certainly did and i mean i don't know about you guys but um hey if you were spending any time at form next at all you'd have to have your eyes closed the whole time to not realize how much multi material printing was going on um, and being displayed on the floor at Form Next, this has been absolutely a theme of um, 2023, and you know will be in, for sure in 2024. Um, I think in multi-material space is only really just starting to take off, but there's definitely you know some strong um, application need for this multi-material capability, and um, it seems like we're sort of finally making headway uh, on on multi-material prints and. You know, I have to say one of the common complaints most years out of Formnext from any sort of, you know, anyone who's who's talking down things is, you know, oh, there's not much innovation this year. I didn't really see anything new. 
I mean, if you went to Form Next, uh, you know, in November this year, you would have seen a whole lot of new stuff, which was very exciting. And um, this multi-material printing on a number of different fronts, I think, was was it was front and centre um, across the whole entire show. Yeah, I would agree. I think this has been sort of, yeah, we've had a couple of them on this uh, episode, but I think it's, yeah, there's there's been a further need of, you know, reducing assemblies and finding ways to, to build parts that are multifunctional parts. And, um, and, and that's, I think, why we, we continue to bring up this idea of multi-material. It's sort of been like a holy grail. Some of the early, you know, multi-material companies, uh, their dinosaurs today, like those at Voxel 8, which came out of Harvard. And, and so there's, we, you know, tough sledding in this space, but I think there's big opportunities for those that can crack the code. So last one on the list, which sort of sets us up, it's not a traditional financing. Norse Titanium secured a bridge loan. And we want to talk about bridge loans and really convertible debt for a second. And and this is really a 2 million euro loan. It was from one of their, you know, it was a, you know one of their shareholders, White Crystals, kind of the structure on it. We'll just talk about it for a second. Um, it just tells you that they were probably fairly tight on cash. They wanted to extend the runway of the company to get a, a broader financing done. And it is very difficult to get financings done in this environment. So um, so the, the fact that they came in, they basically put the 2 million euro in, they got a facilitation fee of 250,000 common share. So it wasn't a cash fee. And then there's a transaction that they're contemplating, they hope gets done by the end of the year. Uh, if it doesn't, there's some make whole fees that come in to the tune of another 125,000 shares of common shares that get paid out every month until uh, a new financing gets done. And they can then either get paid back or they could roll it into the new financing and whatever securities are done there. So hence, it is a convertible note. We bring up convertible notes because this is something that everybody should be aware of. It's a recurring theme. And this is a recurring theme at every level of the industry right now from the players on the SPAC companies, both Velo and Desktop Metal have convertible notes. We really didn't cover them on the, the last episode. We should at some point maybe spend more time. But I think it's one of these topics that is also hitting all of the smaller companies that have used convertible notes as part of their financing rather than priced rounds. And so, Arno, I think that maybe you can talk about what you're seeing in the market and some of the tripping hazards that go with it and share your experiences and what you're seeing. This is certainly in an interesting situation that we're on and it's going to become uh, an, uh, a bigger and bigger challenge uh, in the coming months and quarters um, of, of, of the next year. Um, Im imagine you're, you're a startup founder that has raised his or her last round of financing back in 2021 or 2022 where the valuations were at a maximum um, and uh, your runway is getting shorter and shorter. Typically, you load up about, let's say, 18 months or 24 months of runway uh, until you have to raise the next round, uh, which is happening now uh, in a time where the multiples have dropped significantly. And even if, uh, if a founder has overperformed um, or outperformed his or her plan, um, that he has sold to the investors, if the multiples have dropped, you might end up in a situation where you can raise the next round of funding on a lower valuation than uh, at what you raised your money two years ago. So this valuation discussion, right now, everyone wants to avoid. For the past year, everyone wanted to avoid. So the tool that is left is uh, asking your existing investor or future investors for a convertible loan that might convert at a discount at the next price round. And typically these discounts are somewhere between 15 and 25% um, roughly and have a maturity of 24 months as well. So if there is no price round being closed after 24 months, uh, um, after the, the loan has been issued, if you are, if you, if you did well, there is a defined ending. So if the maturity date is reached, the, this loan is going to co convert into shares at a certain 
valuation based on a certain formula that that has been agreed. And this is happening now. So a lot of startups that wanted to avoid the valuation discussions are loaded on uh, convertible loans. And uh, the maturity dates are getting closer. And now the question is, can they uh, close a priced round on a, on a higher valuation um, to avoid a dramatic dilution? Or is it going to be, in the worst case, even a down round? Amateurs is looking at a couple of hundred uh, startups every year. And right now, the inflow of uh, requests for, for convertible loans is quite overwhelming. So it's, it's very, very interesting times ahead. Um, for for startup founders that it's are reaching a, maturity date, yeah, it's a tricky vehicle. I, I understand, and we've done convertible loans for companies, and, and I would say that that there needs to be a realization that there is a due date of that loan. That is really a loan; it can convert. And yes, there are, the mechanisms are you can convert into that next security. Or alternatively, you could be paid back out of that, depending on what the mechanisms are. But the worst scenarios when the company doesn't have the ability to pay it back and or there's no security by which to convert into, because it puts some of these companies in really precarious situations. And I think that's something that's starting to happen right now. So they either become highly dilutive or it's the loan to own, unfortunately. And, and, and some of these, by the way, there are predatory type lenders out there that do those kinds of deals. Be careful in the world. And then there are some that that aren't, but the circumstances in the environment over the last year have been so challenging that it was never the intent of the lenders to have that situation you know, come together, but it's just the reality of where things are. So, Well, I think that covers all of the deals we wanted to uh, to hit today. I am uh, thankful and grateful, Alex, that you were able to rejoin and come back in on the podcast. And and likewise, Arno, I always appreciate hearing what you're seeing in the market. Nobody sees more deals than you in the AM space, especially on the earlier venture side of the world. So you get to see what the future is going to bring the industry and and I always cherish that perspective. So I really appreciate both of you. And, and thanks for coming back on. And this wraps up uh, episode 13. You've been listening to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. For more information about what you just listened to or for past episodes, visit www.3dprint.com.